Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the co-founder and CEO of the App Intelligence and ASO service, App Figures, Ariel McKaylee. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Charlie. Such a pleasure to be here. Finally, I should say finally. Finally, yes. Yeah, I feel like I've been, uh, uh, what's the right word? Not poaching. Uh, I've been trying to, I've been trying to get you since. Interested. Yeah. For a long time. Interested. Yeah, yeah. Hounding you, maybe that's <laughs> a better word, uh, since we met at uh, Deep Dish uh, earlier this year. Well, I'm here. Finally. You're here. Yes, very excited. Uh, but before we get into app figures and uh, all the stuff that you do there, I want to start this out by uh, letting everybody know a little bit about who you are. So the three questions I always ask to kick things off is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then we can talk about your career that led up to app figures. Oh, all that sounds good. Well, I, I'll try not to get too stuck on any of those questions. Because I can. If, if you listen to this show, uh, that is mostly what this show is, is getting stuck on questions <laughs> and, and Charlie going down uh, lots of rabbit holes. So that's, that's kind of why we're here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's as if I came prepared. Most of my life really pointed me towards this. So I'm originally from Israel, born and raised. I moved here when I was in high school, moved to New Jersey, great New Jersey. And from New Jersey, I moved to Manhattan where I've been for the last who knows how long, basically for college and everything else. And um, I do have formal education. What I do kind of, I mean, there's no formal education in Napster optimization or doing stuff on YouTube or even... <laughs> they didn't They didn't have a degree in app store optimization. They didn't. You know, Actually, what that probably shame. is a thing that exists now, isn't it? I don't know. I haven't seen one yet. I should probably start one of those things, but I don't know of a college that actually understands what this is yet. Maybe in five years. Yeah. Yeah. I guess SEO, even SEO, it's probably like just part of marketing yeah. or something, right? I uh, went to school for marketing, which should not surprise anyone. Marketing and uh, in philosophy, because I love to philosophize about pretty much everything. And the thing is, I didn't want to go to college. I really didn't. From a very young age, I decided I'm going to be building a company. I'm building an empire. That's what I said since like the age of 12 or 13. Wow. Okay. So when it came time to graduate high school and move on, I told my parents, I don't need to move on to school. I can move on to building an empire. That's it. It's happening. My parents are like, no, what do you think? What, what were you thinking? <laughs> so I went to school for marketing and I thought I'm going to learn all the things about marketing. And it was more about, you're not going to really learn anything new, but you're going to get a lot of experiences. You're going to meet a lot of people that you might be able to yeah. have friendships or partnerships or something in the future. I, um, I taught many of my classes. That was kind of my deal. I would go up to the professor and be like, I could be that troubling kid in the back who always answers all the questions right. And I'm going to annoy everyone. Or... Just give me one class that I want to teach. Tell me what the what the curriculum says we need to, to teach in this class and let me do my homework. And all the professors wait, was like... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What now? So you, you're in a class with mm -hmm. a professor and you, of your own volition, yeah. not asked, you were like, you went up to your professor and said, may I teach one of these classes, please? I demanded. Is that essentially what happened here? I demanded. <laughs> I wasn't even nice about it. I was like, if you don't let me do this, I'm going to be so annoying. I'm going to answer every question that you ask. How did you do? Was this verbally or did you? This was verbally, like, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's back in the day. So everything was IRL. We didn't really have all this fancy. I'm going to talk to you on Blackboard or something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So. <laughs> and they were all very, most of them were very excited. 
So I was very happy. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, anything, well, one, anything that gets you out of, you know, teaching a class maybe is nice. <laughs> Although there's probably a, there's probably a fear there of like, what, what is this going to be? <laughs> Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I think, I feel like that just single anecdote says a lot about you, uh, as a person, but, uh, I'm going to take that as a compliment. It is. Well, yeah, it is. I think it is. Well, thank you then. Okay. So you, so then they said yes. And you, you would teach, this was just for lots of random classes. Yeah. So all my marketing classes, uh, some philosophy classes, some accounting classes, I did a bunch of different things. I figured I'm not going to learn if I just hear people talk about stuff. Yeah. But I am going to learn if I do need to teach it. I also learned that people don't pay attention. High school or, I mean, college students could not care any less. So if you're standing there and you're teaching people who are your friends and they're about to fall asleep, you're like, am I doing something wrong? What can I be doing better? And one of the things was just to yell at them and be like, wake up. You got to listen to what I have to say. (laughs) And then I started understanding why professors do it. Because before I thought... You know, they're boring, so they just need to get less boring in order for me to pay attention. Right, obviously. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's just that's just how it is. The content is boring. Yeah. Were your marketing classes almost all just like, is it Darden? Is that the company that owns like Olive Garden and stuff? Just a million case studies about like Darden or Dell. Or Ish. I feel like there was just like, there was this suite of companies that clearly... They probably published case studies and then it made its way into every like college marketing textbook. Yeah, pretty much. I wish yeah. <laughs> there was more of it, but no, it, it was it was kind of antiquated. I have to say it was just on the cusp yeah. of the web taking over. If you remember the term second screen, that that's a term yeah, that came yeah. and went. I forgot about that. But yeah, exactly. So it, it was a, an interesting era in uh, in teaching marketing. I had one professor who was very old. And not just old physically, he was just old in his mind. He owned a retail store, mm. a chain of retail stores, and then became a tenured professor and has not been keeping up with anything. So he's teaching what would work in 1987. And I kept telling him, like, why? I do feel like, though, sometimes those are those are nice because they're like real world, yeah. right? They're not uh, a professor who's been in the education system their whole you know life basically that's true and and most of my professors actually came from some sort of a company or maybe were running a company at the time of teaching which yeah. i loved i thought that was a huge benefit because i got to talk to them at eye level as i was running i started my first company when i was 13 when i was well first real company in high school i was about to say i feel like we, i don't remember the specifics but i feel like we've talked about uh we did <laughs> you having an interesting series of uh like enterprises that you you started in like junior high or something like that yeah in middle school i started uh, uh an import export business we should call it i sold <laughs> firecrackers and fireworks that's what it was yeah. we were talking about fireworks yep yes yeah because i lived i lived in uh out in the co- not country but you know suburban area where fireworks were just assumed to be accessible everywhere and exploding at all times yeah uh the city near us wasn't like that and there i i witnessed lots of uh enterprising people filling up vans uh (laughs) clearly for the resale inside of the areas where you weren't necessarily supposed to yeah so that's what i did when i was uh, i think 13 ish (laughs) I, i eventually hired a friend well so we need to ride a bike up this hill to go to the store to buy it from a different town and then bring it into our town and sell it well, resell it. So you're doing it on bikes. Yeah, I mean, I was 13. What else would I do? I I could rollerblade. That's true. It was a huge hill for uh, for a 13 year old. So eventually, I got bored and I became the sales guy and uh, had my friend do all the wheeling. 
That was fun. Ah, okay. I learned, <laughs> but I learned valuable lessons. For example, I learned that if you have a price list, like literally a sheet full of prices, people are not going to negotiate with you. If you come up to a kid and you're like, this costs three bucks, they'll go, I only have two. It's like, no, no, no. But you see the, the paper, it says three and he goes, okay. Uh, versus if you just say it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, $3 appear where two were only available before. So that was a lesson I learned at a VAR Engage, enterprising uh, some sales. So that was fun. Okay, so you, I assume you have lots of things like this, uh, <laughs> theoretically becoming more and more uh, maybe legitimate as you get older. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in college, you also have uh, stuff like this that you're doing while yeah. you're taking these classes and teaching these classes. Yeah. So I, I started my real career building businesses because I always said I always want to build businesses. I, I yeah. like working with people. I like working with code. I like doing marketing. I kind of like all the things that you need to kickstart something. So I figured, why not? And uh, I started a dating website when I was in high school. This is way before the iPhone. So it was not a, as big. Dating wasn't as big as it is now. Uh, and it was interesting. It was interesting. I learned a bunch of things like how to make fake accounts that look real. We had a bunch of those on the service. Me and my friend ran it for a few months at the end of high school. Eventually, like you would put fake accounts yeah. on there or you're dealing with fake accounts? I would make fake accounts because the service was not nearly as well promoted as it could have been. And so we had about right. 300 fake accounts and about 300 real accounts, which I think is a better, a better ratio than what we see today on Tinder and on Bumble and all those. If I had to you guess. You think most of those are fake accounts? I, I don't know. It just feels like it overall. And you look at the downloads. But isn't there, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know a lot about the space, but like, w- wouldn't that backfire though, if people are trying to interact with them and they're getting ghosted because they're not real? I don't know. AI is pretty good these days. And I have a feeling they're not made by Tinder. I think they're made by third parties who have something to gain from having access to human information. Uh, so it's a totally different yeah. playing field at this point. But on your, okay, so, but in your case, wouldn't that backfire? Like The service never really took off, so I don't think it matters. Okay. It was more of a... Do you feel, do you feel good? Like, does, because that feel, in my brain, that feels like a little, like, scammy. feels terrible. Did it... F- Okay, did it feel terrible then, or were you just trying anything you could? I was a high school kid. I just wanted to get something off the ground. I wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> I figured we'll delete them when enough people join and everything feels good. But we didn't really yeah. have any sort of email system, because I didn't really know how to code a thing that sends emails back in the day. Mm. So that really made the whole system a lot less fun to engage with. You could only send messages within the website. Uh, and so eventually I went to college and forgot about it and then sold the domain later on, which I still made money on, which was good. So enterprising is still happening. There you go. All right. So then, so what are you doing then through college? Huh, where do I even begin? The <laughs> news spread that I know how to work with computers. And back in the day, if you know how to make websites, you apparently know how to connect computers. So someone was like, can you host my website? Like, um, mm, yeah, sure. Do you have a website? Like, no. Can you build my website and then host it? Like, sure. Let's do this. So I coded it up and then I, I found an old server. I found actually a new server that no one was able to run in a basement somewhere where my dad worked. And I asked the guy, why is this seemingly new server not in production? And he goes, oh, the server is broken. We bought it. We spent a ton of money on it. No one can get it to work. I go, okay, well, can I have it? Like, no. Like, what do you mean? It's standing here collecting dust. Can I just take it with me? Maybe I can make it work. He goes, you know, no one can make it work. Even the experts. You can make it work, you take it home. And the guy looked down at me thinking, this kid, what does he think? So I made it work and I took it home. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so I started web hosting on this uh, like one Dell machine that eventually crapped out, losing all the data on it because I had no idea what a backup was. Like, why would you need to backup? Hard drives are going to work forever, right? They don't, as I learned. And, um, and that's when everything really started. So I said, I'm going to get real. I'm not going to do my own web hosting because that's kind of a, a, a rabbit hole I don't want to get into. But let's build some yeah. websites and talk to people and slowly got into building websites. Websites were really taking off. So I was taking off. I started doing SEO back then. I did SEO for so long. I can see the future of ASO just by having done SEO in the 2000s. Mm, yeah, yeah. So you were you were doing that through the 2000s. So it wasn't just Google at that time. Like you were you were playing the. It was mostly Google. Or was it Google. pretty much just Google yeah. by that point? Yeah, okay, okay. existed with their directory, but no one cared about them. I don't yeah. remember anyone else. I guess that's true. Like SEO would really only apply to the algorithmic search engines, which mm -hmm. at that time was pretty much Google, right? Yeah. Like, and also the algorithm was super, super basic. So you could yeah. manipulate it extremely easily. And so doing okay. SEO was just a matter of understanding, you know, a bunch of little nuances and then you can do SEO. You didn't need to be an expert. Today, it's very different. But back then, yeah, yeah. super easy. So I got into doing that, built some more websites, started doing some real platforms, kind of like uh, white label platforms. And at the same time, my younger brother, who's my co-founder, uh, started building games. He is three years younger than I am, so it took him a little bit longer to get into the game. But he also started working while he was in college. And as he was building games, I was like, you know, maybe we can do more. So he started building more games, and then uh, he built an open source. This is games for, uh, for like PCs or? This is Flash games, like games for the Flash web. Flash games, okay, yeah. And he really loves making games, so he built an engine, a 3D, not a 3D, a 2D physics engine, and, and published it. And it was amazing. Oh, wow. It was... For, like, open source, or... Uh, it wasn't open source back sort then. Of licensing thing? It was kind of a licensing thing, but we figured people can use it for okay. free until they need to use it commercially, and then they can talk to us. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so a bunch of big companies started reaching out to us and said, oh, hey, it looks like you know what you're doing. Can you help us build games? And we're like... Yes, of course we can help you build games. Games are so much cooler. So the engine was more like a marketing tool in that case then to like legitimize you. Yeah, and all by uh, just a weird coincidence. He just legitimately wanted to make an engine. He did not think yeah. about the marketing opportunities or anything. And I was building websites, so I wasn't thinking about this. I was thinking, how do I get an award for this website I just built to a client, for a client? So... That happened. We started working on games. We did games for a long time. We kind of phased out the websites very slowly. And then we became a, a marketing agency, a digital marketing agency, which was re really cool. I always wanted to do... Like you transitioned from games to that? From, from web to that. Well, the digital part was trying to make the games kind of work with advertisers. So we did a bunch of games uh. for Kellogg's. If you played any sort of a web game oh, off yeah. of a Kellogg's box, we probably made it. I, I remember uh, many a Disney Channel advertisement <laughs> for random brands that were like, go to our website and yep. play these four games or whatever. Yep. So we did that for a whole bunch of that years. That makes sense. Actually, fun story. We recently had a pool table put in the office and the guy who installed it calls me an hour before and goes, man, I'm going to be a little bit late. My helper is not available. I need to get a new helper. Like, cool. Not a problem. He comes in with a new helper who's much younger than the guy he was going to bring. And the guy sees we have this big uh, picture from a game that we made for Kellogg's. It's uh, Apple and Cinnamon riding in a little, little go-kart. 
And he looks at it and he goes, wait, I played this game growing up. I love this game. <laughs> and I go, man, well, let me introduce you to the guy who built it. Go get my brother. I tell my brother this and he goes, oh yeah, I built it and walks away. And the guy goes, wait, what? I don't believe this. <laughs> so he wasn't even supposed That's to be awesome. there. Comes into the office, loves it. And uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. There's uh, There are actually reels of people playing our games on YouTube. Like people who- Oh, like still, like they're still yeah, out there? They're still out there. And people who are just playing them and uploading their videos. I don't understand necessarily why, but I mean, awesome. I don't know. It's, if, it's retro now, I yeah, guess. I guess. I don't know if they're still up there, but I was talking to my brother. Maybe we'll make our gallery. We'll find all the old games, mm. figure out a way to run them because Flash is no longer. That's the challenge. Yeah. yeah. How can you like, is there like, I bet you there's like a Flash emulator, I guess. Probably in like JavaScript, maybe feels like a thing that could be possible. It's going to be awful, though. It can't be good. Like it can't be as performant as would be necessary for 2D. I mean, games. maybe. I don't know. Think about the hardware that that was running on, though. Yeah, that's true. You know? Man, that was it's such like a long any time emulator ago. for uh yeah we're getting l far enough in time that processors alone are fast enough that they can probably uh emulate something even in a really janky way and it still be performant enough it's not like those flash sites were running 60 frames a second <laughs> uh you know at 1080p or something i think it was a it was a lot more for the era built for the era yeah you know okay this is a rabbit hole but you know how like when you play a when you play an emulator, like a Nintendo 64 emulator or whatever, they like mimic a CRT screen yeah. and all of that. W would you have an emulator that like puts it inside of IE with like 18 <laughs> toolbars, uh, you know, above it? And of course, that would also have to emulate a CRT screen. I'm trying to think what else, uh, what else would be like that era of gaming, the way you actually are, were experiencing it. Oh, that would be awful. That would be so awful. <laughs> <laughs> i6 was the bane of my existence for so long my that was my my first internship it, it was like it was a position that they didn't really know what to do with me so they like sent me over to this guy to be like help him and he's like all right uh well we have to fix all these like i6 bugs he's like Ouch. do you know css and i googled css like that was the level <laughs> of and so my first job but it was like it felt good like as far as an internship job to have that story of like literally my first job was to fix the homepage of this decent sized chemical company uh <laughs> Fix IE6 bugs, layout bugs. Oh, I believe uh, that. One of the first websites that I built was for a chemical company. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Back man, in the interesting. Day, I guess they were just getting out of manufacturing and into the web and thinking, we need a presence. I was like, yeah, I'll give you a presence. I got this. I built it in PowerPoint, so it, it, was, it was awful. You built the... Wait, what? I built a website in PowerPoint. This is way back in the day. I didn't know what I was doing. This was before the dating website, before I became... Wait, you designed it in PowerPoint? No, no, or... no. You can export from PowerPoint into HTML and all the <laughs> links actually work. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. That's kind of awesome, actually. I don't know. Don't, don't try this at home type thing. This is more of a... Now that I know that it exists, I'll, I know and that's it. I don't know if it still does it, but I mean, it worked. It was kind of ugly. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I guess you can export like Word documents as uh, HTML, so... Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah. Interesting. So you just slap that in a server somewhere yeah. and... Uh, <laughs> that was on the server that that's I hosted. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Hey, that's a good way to get started though. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're you're a, uh, what did you call it? Digital marketing, marketing agency. agency now yep. building games for major brands like marketing websites. 
And this is out of college or are you still in college at that point? I'm still in college. I had just recently okay. started college at that point. So then, yeah, let's let's like, well, how do you get from there to, you know, founding app figures? So an interesting, an interesting way. So we did games for probably my entire college run for the most part. And in the process, we also made a few platforms. One was a real estate website platform. So if you're a real estate agent and you need a place to showcase all of your current listings, we made you an amazing looking website, a website out of a template. So it was super inexpensive. Uh, it's kind of like a white label. Exactly. Uh, it was like so a, you can quickly spin them up for people. Yep, like a $50 a month type thing. And the websites were exquisite. They were just beautiful because they're a template so we can invest time into them. And not many right. other companies had the ability to do the kind of stuff we could do with Flash. We could do custom stuff with Flash. We could do database-driven Flash websites because we had all that know-how from the games. So we just put yeah. it all together and people loved it. So we did that for a while uh, and eventually kind of got out of that and slowly focused more and more on games. Games and SEO, as odd as that sounds, it's a weird mix. And then the iPhone comes that up. That makes sense. Yeah, it's where the money was at that point. And then the iPhone comes out. It feels like I should enter, enter a like do 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 sound. So the iPhone comes out. My brother gets it like immediately on day one. I had been on the Microsoft phones and the Palm Trios, and I had all of them. And I go, but wait, there's no keyboard. It's going to suck. So he gets it. And uh, he goes, well, I don't really need a keyboard. I don't do as much typing as you do. I just want the big screen. Gets it. I look at it. I fall in love with it instantly. Then go stand in line for hours to get it after everyone else already knows that it's awesome. That same day? I think maybe a day later, maybe three days okay, later, okay. like almost instantly. Um, and that really sparked the everything. So that came out. And then the App Store opened up to developers, I think, a year later. We got our first iMac in the office. We were a Windows shop before. And from that point on, we started making things. Were you starting out with games, like taking that same sort of skill set? Obviously not Flash, famously. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that was our idea to begin with. We were like, we can make a game. And we had a little bit of time between client projects. So my brother sat down. We came up with a game. And we started building it. And it got kind of famous almost pretty quickly. I mean, kind of famous was like thousands of this downloads. This is where you reveal that you're the iBeer person. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, not nearly as famous. So we're talking like thousands of downloads, not millions or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was 2019 or 2018 and everything was kind of small. And we were thinking, we can do this. No more clients, no more shenanigans, just us and the user. And so we set out to build our first game, our first real, real game. But in the process, my brother was like, but wait, how do you know how many downloads we're getting? And for those of you who have not been, for the listeners who haven't been around App Store Connect uh, from the early beginnings when it was called iTunes Connect, there were no charts in, in App Store Connect or iTunes Connect back in the day. There wasn't a place. That really? Would, there was a nothing. There was a button to download information. And the information was a daily file in TSV format, tab separated values, which was somewhat broken, depends on the day and depends on the position <laughs> of the moon and stuff. Well, somewhat broken does feel like a through line to stay, but uh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. At least Apple is consistent in that. So your only your only metrics, which I'm guessing were literally just the same system that they had for iTunes, yep. was a daily download of essentially a CSV, but with tabs. Exactly. Uh, and every interesting. And every country was an entry. Um, all the currencies were in the local currency. So if you wanted to see how much money you're making in, oh, in dollars, wow. you would have to do all that on your own. And I did all that for weeks. 
And I kept downloading the files, throwing them into Excel, trying to figure out all the conversion rates and doing VLOOKUPs and stuff. And it was fun. I do like my Excel worksheets. But at some point I was like, you know, I can also program. So let me try and do something. So I made a little, a little Windows program that you drop the file on, does all this for you and puts it on a chart. And that's it. I was like, I'm done. I'll just use this every time someone asks me if my mom wants to know how many downloads I had today. Let me just drop that thing on here. Click here. Good to go. Would you, and it was, were those daily numbers just for that day? Like there was no aggregation? There was Ooh, a weekly man. aggregation and a monthly aggregation. And uh, okay. Apple would delete them over time. So the daily files <laughs> of course. were saved for seven days. If you're trying to get daily information for more than seven days ago, nope. The weekly wow. was a little bit more. The, there was no monthly actually, now that I'm thinking about it, daily and weekly. So I figured I have to download them and save them because there's no way to go back. And the weekly doesn't yeah. have seven days worth of daily data has one entry for every week. And so if you forget about the dailies, you have no granularity. So then I built a yeah, little talk thing. Talk about just a vacuum asking for a solution. Yeah, huh. yes. So I, uh, I, was, I was walking, so I, I started talking on, on Twitter. I, I finally got into Twitter at that point in my life. And people were saying, oh wow, you have a thing that analyzes that data? That's so cool, can I have it? Like, yeah, sure but it's a Windows program, so I don't really know how to give it to you. You're on a Mac. And I love building platforms. I was walking out one day and I go, you know, we need, we need a, a thing that does figures for apps. Let's call it app figures. Let's make it into a platform. I run home because naming things is so difficult. And I had this yeah. name. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the best name I'm ever going to come up with. This is like the peak of my business naming career. Let me just go and turn it into a business. Go buy the domain and uh and start building this thing and i built it in a way where you drag you download the file you drag it onto the site and it does all the things for you and shows you charts mm, yeah. very basic very minimal and and people started using it my friends were starting to i mean my twitter friends started using it so I, yeah yeah it was it was really cool and then i was talking to my brother one day and he goes but why do you need to download and upload can we just get it it's like i don't know how to do that i'm not that good of a programmer and he goes, yeah, you can figure it out. So we sit down and we try to figure it out, him and me, and we're learning how to do basic requests. I mean, what I know now is million bazillion times more than what I knew back then. I was just a script kitty, basically. Building yeah, were, websites. Were you built, was that built in Flash, essentially? Did no, you just no, port no. your Windows thing to? Okay. Luckily, we did not. We were smart enough. We saw where the, where the trend was going and everyone was well, hitting I meant Flash. your first version. No, no, it was just a, like literally a Windows app. I was just, just experimenting, trying to figure out if I can build. I've never built a Windows app before. And I figured that's probably an easy way to do this. It kind of yeah. was, but I would not recommend doing that again. And then your, your first web version was what? Like a PHP file basically sitting there that well, just manipulates it and spits out a new page? or Kind of. It was all ASP, classic ASP, not even ASP.NET okay. or any of those See, that's what I'm more familiar with, yeah. actually. Really? Interesting. Well, not ASP, not classic ASP, but oh. ASP.NET. Yeah, yeah. ASP.NET was an interesting era for uh, for Microsoft, for people who like Microsoft tools. But no, all classic ASP, which is really scripting. It's kind of like PHP, but I want to say the Microsoft way, so just a little bit uglier. And so I did that for uh, I did that for a bunch of our platforms before, and I didn't do anything like crazy, crazy, but I was able to eventually finagle it. So we got all that working in um, either classic ASP or eventually moved to ASP.NET at that point, I think. Okay. That was very early. And you're hosting this just on your servers yeah. that you already had mm -hmm. set up because of all this other digital marketing stuff you were doing. Exactly. 
So it was all running okay. locally. It was a very small scale. We had tens of users, maybe, in the beginning. Um, and at some point we go, let's go into, let's, let's expand this, go into beta. So we had one main report, three tabs. You can see your downloads by country, by date, and by something else that I no longer remember. Maybe it was only two in the beginning. And this is free at this point? Yeah, this is 100% free, but we knew that it was only going to be free if we wanted to get to a point where this can become paid. This wasn't meant yeah, to be a yeah. free service. It was meant to be, uh, let's find out if this works, which is kind of my philosophy for pretty much everything. I'll throw something together, put it out there and see if anyone cares about it. And if enough people care about it, then yeah, we'll go out and we'll build a whole big thing. Right. Because once you start charging for it, you have to support it or you mm -hmm. ruin your reputation. Whereas if it's free, it's okay if you kind of let it die on the vine because it didn't take off or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like also with free, people have that expectation that they should give you feedback. They should be a part of the evolution oh, yeah, of it. that's true. More so than I'm paying you, so you do all the work. Right. Uh, so we were free for, I want to say, three months between. So we came out on March 14th, Einstein Day, Pi Day, a whole bunch of cool days happened to be our birthday. And uh, by, by the summer, we're like, okay, we can make this into a real business. So... V what, what year is this? This is 2009. So that's, I mean, like within a year of the App Store, the launch then. Okay. Yeah, we got our so game out. Right, right out of the gate. Uh, very early, summer of 2008, we had a game. Or like end of summer 2008, we had a game on the App Store. We're already working on a second game at that point that we eventually okay. shipped and was doing really well. Uh, that we, I, I would love to resurrect. It was called Fly Loop. And it's a game where you have butterflies flying on the screen with really serene music. And you just have to loop butterflies of the same color. It was really cool, super simple, and actually made the money. You need to bring it back as uh, like all the Apple uh, Arcade, like <laughs> uh, what is it? What were they? Fly Loop Plus or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was just talking to my, my brother about that the other day. We can bring it back. I think it would be a, a nice thing to have on the App Store. But that's for later. Nice. And um, so we're thinking now, what are we going to do? And investors start emailing us and going, hey, you have a great thing on, on your hands. Can we talk about investing in you? And I was young and I had never taken investment money. I didn't know what it would, me what it would mean, what it would be like. So I said, sure, we'll, we'll talk. And all the investors we talked to were like, you're sitting on a gold mine because you're collecting private data, which you can resell. And I mm. keep thinking to myself, what? Like sell someone my private data? No, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, and, and you could tell that they really thought we were young and, and naive enough to, uh, to suggest that we do this or else we have no future. And when people say this to me, I say, challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> so to the few that said that, and they said, eventually, if you don't sell your data, you're not going to be successful. No one is going to pay you a monthly fee for this sort of a service. No one's going to do it. Like, okay, you know, worst case of fails. I have a, another business running at the moment. We had a, a bunch of new ideas. We wanted to do a thing within our purchases way before in our purchases really existed to do in-game currency. So we're like, we're just going to work on this for the weekend. If it eventually grows, great. If it doesn't, whatever. And so we were ready to just continue putting time into this as we do everything else. Summer comes around, we talk to VCs. We see this is not the way to go about it. I don't want to build a business that takes your data and, and throws it into someone else's arms. I just don't want to do yeah. that. Never wanted to do that. And as time passed, we actually became more and more against it as opposed to just being like every other company who became more and more open to it. And I think that also changed who we are as a company and allowed us to get to where we are today, the way we are today. So the summer comes and we're like, you know, let's charge money for this. We'll see what happens. 
And brother goes, but what if everyone leaves? Like, then everyone leaves. And what if the price is not right? Then we change it. So we put out a blog post saying, hey, we have a plan for actually making money because we need to exist. And here's what we were thinking. And we were thinking charging per packages of apps. And about 80% of our users immediately hated it. 20% were like, we'll pay you whatever you want because we like you as a company and we want you to continue to exist and we like the platform. 80% were like, no, this is too much. I'm paying for what I don't need. One guy, one person was saying in one of the comments, uh, this company is so big, why would they charge money? It's like, the company is me and my brother working in our yeah, living what, room. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, amazingly, apparently we, we just did an amazing job pretending to be a really big company somehow, even though we never tried. So I was like, great. We're like, okay, we heard you. Not good. We're not going to do this. We'll come back with a different plan in a week. And we sat down for a week and every day we're like, okay, what do we do that's going to be different? Continue to the next day, continue to the next day. And then after a week, we had an idea, which was the pricing we had up until about four years ago. And people, 80% were like, great, we're going to pay you. And 20% were like, this is too expensive. So we figured 80%. So wait, what was the change then? We initially thought that we could charge by packages of apps, which would be a little bit more economical for us. So you pay the same amount. What's a package of apps? Like, what does that mean? It's, so we charge by how many apps, or we used to charge by how many apps you track, not features or anything else, or downloads or uh, revenue. Oh, okay. So if you're tracking one app, uh, you would pay the same as you would pay to track five apps or 10 apps. And we had those in little steps. You were like, but I only have one app and I'm never going to have more than one app. Obviously a lie, but... That's what a lot of people thought back in the day. They thought that they only have the one app. It's probably going to be enough. And they're like, I don't want to pay for five apps. We're like, okay, we'll come back. And we modified our pricing to be on a per app basis. We increased it, of course, and then made it per, uh, per app basis, which was economical for us, economical for them. 80% loved it. Woke up one day and flipped the switch at 5.30 a.m. I still remember that morning. And I was, I was ready to get a bunch of emails of people just angry and unhappy and no more signups because why would anyone pay? It was 2009. No one paid for anything on a subscription basis back then. And that was the opposite of what happened. We got a bunch of people upgrading almost immediately. So I woke up after a few hours and I went to sleep obviously because it was 5.30 AM. And I felt like I'm, I'm ready. I, I need a nap in order to be ready for this. Wake up to a bunch of upgrades, a bunch of signups. Big companies started signing up almost within hours. Oh, interesting. So like, ha because all that changed was the pricing, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't like you had a bunch of new features that you were nope. gating or something. Nope. But by having a price, mm -hmm. it like legitimized it to a bigger business, I guess. Yeah. So we had a bunch of game companies who said, we've been keeping an eye on you for the last few uh, months or weeks, depends on the company. And we were just waiting to see if you will become a real company or if this is going away. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and our huh. pricing was really, really economical. We were five bucks a month for the most part. And most of our users back then paid us five bucks a month. And that was per app, you said? So five bucks was for the plan. And then it came with two apps. And beyond that, okay. you would have to pay $1.50, I think, back then for additional apps. And the idea there was like that was scaling. That would kind of scale with bigger companies because maybe bigger companies would have lots of apps, yeah. which has kind of changed since then. Oh, but that very was much, yeah. Probably more, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because now it's like the bigger companies are all their eggs are in one, mm -hmm. one basket, kind of. One very high-earning basket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we figured that if we can scale it, and if there are enough developers, at five bucks a month, we can capture as many people as possible. Because even the indies, which at that point were, was kind of everyone, yeah, they would have five bucks to spend. I mean, like a 
I don't know, a cup of coffee, a Starbucks and a little bit, and you're getting something good for your business. And that was kind of our bet. And it worked. It absolutely worked. There's something magical about the price of $4.99 that you can't get at $6.99, yeah. $7.99 or $8.99. It just, it's so $9.99 is a similar like s- sweet spot, right? Yeah. Like there's a big difference between $9.99 and $10.00. Yep. It's, and you know, I, I didn't want to believe that. I wanted to believe that the 99 cents, that whole $0.99 is not the kind of thing that's good for business because, I mean, I'm, I'm business on one side, but I'm also like indie and creator on the other. So I have these yeah. competing ideologies. And for many, many years, I was so afraid of changing our pricing or even experimenting with pricing because what if someone upgraded last week to this one price and now today, the, or, and they will tell their friend and their friend will come in and we'll run a price experiment and they'll see a different price. That was, for some reason, horrifying to me. That was obviously a mistake. And we started experimenting maybe five or six years into the company's life, which was way longer than what anyone else should be doing. You should experiment from like day three. Yeah, I'm curious about that because experimenting, like we talk about it a lot, you know, at Revenue Cat, obviously, uh, but there it's like B2C. Mm-hmm. So th- there's less of an issue of like, like most of your customers, especially for apps, are coming through the app store. Yeah. So th- their experience is kind of defined by your onboarding flow mm-hmm. but a b2b business a lot of times like the their kind of introduction into everything is through word of mouth or like different marketing channels and they've heard it multiple times before they actually get into your mm-hmm. page and so like it feels like it's a little trickier to do uh to do pricing experimenting because you're you're kind of advertising the price more in a way that you don't normally for B2C, but I guess I guess you all haven't been doing that or haven't run into problems with that? Well, so we've never really advertised the price. We always advertise the features, the convenience, the value, everything else. Never really talk about the price for that particular reason. But I was still concerned that yeah. someone would maybe think about upgrading last week and then coming in this week after they got approval from someone else and now the price is different. And here's the thing, that never happened. Maybe it happened once or twice where someone saw a price experiment uh, and right, said, oh, not a scale. Yeah. And we had this philosophy of if anyone wants, if anyone sees this, we'll give them whatever price they want. So if the new price is more expensive, we'll give them the old price. If the new price is less expensive, we'll give them the new price. It doesn't really matter because the scale is so small. And it's really yeah, exactly. all about them getting what they expect. It's all about meeting their expectation at that point. And I'm happy about that because I'm thinking long term and making those changes was actually amazing, even initially when we just had the one plan. It was either five bucks and we tried 10 bucks and 12 bucks and 15 bucks. And we saw differences. We tried nine versus 9.99 and more people liked the 9.99 than the nine, even though it's higher. Just mind blowing. Yeah, that's so weird. Interesting. Yeah, pricing is uh, like a dark art. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very much so. That, yeah, I guess it's it's so much human psychology mixed in with business. And yeah, it's kind of a weird. I guess, I guess ASO is kind of, well, I guess the human psychology part's not there, but it's a similar dark art, uh, which you eventually got into. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, in a way. So, well, okay. Funny story. So we've been doing analytics since 2009 and up until maybe 2014, 15, it was only analytics. So the focus was charts, pulling in mm-hmm. data from App Store Connect and showing it in a nicer, easier to use yeah. way. 
and adding a ton of value on top of it. So sending email reports daily, weekly, mm. monthly, which Apple didn't have up until fairly recently where they added weekly reports, but you can't get that daily. You can get that monthly. And you're kind of stuck right. with their own way of doing it, which is kind of limiting. It's only a summary where we give details. We started doing review management. We started doing ranks where we collect your category ranks all the time. So you can see how stuff is moving. Yeah. This episode of Launched is brought to you by me, or rather Launched Membership, which you might not even know is a thing because I almost never talk about it. So here's the deal. While Launched honestly isn't the most intense production in the world, it does take a pretty significant amount of time to produce. Last year, I was getting pretty burnt out trying to juggle the podcast with all my other responsibilities and ended up bringing on an editor who, quite frankly, made the show something I could actually sustain. To help pay for this, I started bringing on sponsors and added a Patreon membership that included a feed with the sponsors' ads removed from the show. The sponsors have worked well, but if I'm being honest, booking and managing sponsorships and writing and recording ads has added enough work that I'm starting to get a little burnt out already. I'd really like to get the Patreon membership high enough to cover my editor and hosting costs, so I don't feel this pressure to make sure that there's an ad booked for every episode. So here's my request to you all. If you like this show and want to help me keep it going, consider becoming a patron. A link to my Patreon will be in the show notes. For the most part, all launched membership really includes currently is an ad-free version of the show. This is where my second request comes in. If you have any ideas for good Patreon bonus perks, let me know. I'm currently trying to think through ideas right now, and I don't have anything great so far, if I'm being honest. For those of you who are already sponsors, you probably aren't even hearing this, but I can't express enough how much I appreciate the support. All right, that's more than enough navel-gazing. Let's get back to the show. Funny story about our API. So we wanted to launch an app back in 2000, maybe 10 or 11, a mobile app for app figures. And right around that time, Flurry, if you remember the story of Flurry Analytics, was telling the world that, so Flurry is an analytics, an in-app analytics company, not the way we do it, more about usage. Um, I don't know if they're big enough that people would know them anymore, but they used to be the biggest. Everyone knew them. Eventually they got acquired by Yahoo and it kind of went downhill, uh, but they were massive. Mm. And, Familiar story. <laughs> yep, sadly. And um, they discovered that Apple is testing on a device that has a higher, a higher screen resolution or higher screen size, bigger screen size, the iPad. And for some reason, they decided to share that with the world, which really upset Steve Jobs. Mm. So he had internally told everyone, if you see an analytics company, punch it in the face, pretty much in his own words. And at this time and now, you, you don't have an SDK that's inside of developers apps right correct yours is all done by talking to app store connect mm -hmm. through their uh either their public or private apis yeah we we have our ways i would say yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I don't, no, no yeah yeah but um we you get it through from apple <laughs> and, and we specifically want that because there is a very big challenge of understanding revenue when you're in the app versus when you're getting it directly from the source and we always want it to be yeah. accurate as 100 percent accurate as possible so that's why uh, we did that. And I, I think the in-app analytics is a totally different beast than the business analytics. And you don't see a lot of companies that focus on the business analytics like we do. And that's why we're as big as we are today. And, and I think that's a kind of a mistake of the industry, but also a power up for those who do spend time understanding their trends, understanding what's going on, kind of like what if and what makes what happen. 
so sorry yeah i cut you off but that that was just an important difference between yeah exactly what flurry was doing you would never know this information because we never we uh, would never see it yeah exactly and i'm happy about that because he really hated flurry like really really hated flurry <laughs> But because we have analytics in our name or with associated with us and no one knows what analytics really is, the reviewer that saw our app was like, nope, no way you're getting into the app store. Goodbye. So we submitted it again. Got another rejection. I think we submitted five times. Maybe got five rejections. Decided, well, this is not going to happen. Let's open up our API to the world. So we open up the API to the world. Within three months, we have 10 apps that use our API live in the app store, approved and in the app store. I didn't even want to ask how. I did not care. I was just happy. I didn't. So that's still, you still have a public API? Absolutely. It's one of our, oh, okay. one of our, I did not realize that. Yeah. Not only that we can do before Apple had an API to reply to reviews. We were the only API to reply to reviews and we're still the only API to reply to reviews for Apple and Google in one request. And that was interesting huge for us. It's much less so complicated is there still, also. Is there still like third-party apps uh, no. for app figures Eventually, they all died out, mostly because we mm. had... So th there is a, a story behind that. And at some point, we decided that maybe this whole old hate on all the analyst companies mentality is, has died out and we can try again. But we didn't want to take the time and actually build an app to find out and just to get rejected after six months of development. So we said, let's find the best of the third-party apps and let's buy it and we'll modify it a little mm. bit and then it's already on the store so they can't say no worst case they don't allow yeah. updates but you know whatever so we did that and we were ready to launch and it was just before wwdc and i was talking to the people that i now knew at apple and everything was going well my brother looks at the app and goes all i need to do is make a get started a welcome screen for the app i go great you do that i'll take care of the pr and everything else so i have everything ready everything is set to launch we even did, um, we even had a, a truck running around WWDC with app figures on it, which really oh, wow. annoyed Apple. Okay. And they sent the police <laughs> on us like seven times, but the, the truck driver was just, he just continued looping around. It was awesome. There's so many pictures that I saw on Twitter of people going, what is that? So all this is ready. And my brother goes, we can't ship this. Like, what do you mean? We bought this app. We reskinned it a little bit. We need to do all this. We have everything in place. And he goes, no, it's, I, it's not intuitive. I don't like it. I go, what do you, no, no, we're shipping this. We're definitely shipping this. We paid enough money to ship this. He goes, let me, let me work on it for a night. I'll show you what I have in mind. Comes back the next day. And it's the app that if you've seen our app, it's what it looks like today. And he goes, I can do this in six months. I go, ah, crap. This is a billion <laughs> times better. All right, throw away all the money we spent on this and all the time and all the PR that I have ready. I was going to go to WWDC and worry about it later. And um, he goes, six months. It took us a year. A year of dedicated time spent on building the app. A year's pretty good for a developer promising six months, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's pretty true. <laughs> and, it's uh, only double. <laughs> only. <laughs> and eventually we shifted about a year later, and uh, I'm kind of glad that we took the... A half of me is glad that we took the time because it's a much better product. A half of me, the, yeah. the business side is more, we could have had something that we would have replaced yeah. a year later. So it was a good learning experience for how to balance between the, the product guy in you that wants the best of the best and the business guy in you that wants the best for the user. And the best for the user is not always the nicest looking pixel on the screen. I'm curious how, speaking of that exact line, how do you feel about, about having a native app? Because like, you know, 
at revenue cat this is something we get asked a lot and like uh i i don't want to speak for the company but like i think the general idea is it makes more sense for us to put the same amount of like effort and resources into making sure that the website is mobile friendly Mm -hmm. and then and then that that's like immensely cheaper and then you can put those into like more features and everything for the site um while a a app would be nice and lots of people ask for it so there's obviously a demand for it it's it's kind of a weird like balancing act i'm like uh do you want every feature you make to also have a cost to add it to the mobile app or do you want the mobile app to not be feature parity with the website and like how do you sort of balance all of that Oh, it's, it's, it's weird. So when we started, we set out to build an app that would have almost the same set of features, but we had so many few, so many few, fewer features. <laughs> so many few. Yeah, so many few. All the fews. But we had fewer features <laughs> overall. So the main, the main goal of the app was to bring what you would use the site normally for all day long, and that's to see your downloads, to see your revenue, maybe your ratings and your reviews. And we had all that in yeah. the app. That was before ASO, that was before competitor intelligence. And so the heavy lifting was done by charts, which we built custom, of course, because we build everything custom, and by the engine that was importing all the data. And at that point, in addition to App Store Connect, we had Google Play and Microsoft Store and um, Amazon App Store and a whole bunch of others, but then also all the ad networks. So if you're spending money on ads or making money from ads, right. we do all of those as well, the, the meta advertising and Google and you know all of those. And so that was kind of your hub to see how much money you're spending and how much money you have. And that's, that was the goal of the entire platform at that point. And so the app did most of that. The only thing is, as we continue to grow additional things like App Store optimization tools and competitor intelligence, and we made the reporting a lot more broad because subscriptions were introduced at some point. And for subscriptions alone, we track about 70 metrics. And that became very yeah, challenging. It's, a, it's a definitely a different mm-hmm. long set of things to, to keep track of then. And uh, yeah, and the app wasn't really built for 70 metrics or for the kind of slicing and dicing you have to do around MRR and that kind of stuff that you want to see over yeah. time maybe and not aggregated. So we, we spent a lot of time on the site and building more features for the site and building them in a way that will be easy to make them mobile friendly. But just like how you would want to spend your money on ads where the audience is, we kind of figured some people are just, they don't want the mobile site. If they wanted a website, they would go on their desktop. And at this point, everyone has a laptop, so it's not that far away. And now we're thinking, how do we bring ASO tools into a smaller screen that isn't really meant for research? We have heavy tools that will allow you to do research very easily, but at the same time, they require a lot of screen real estate because they're just information for your brain to process. Right. People keep saying, oh, just do all the work for me. Use AI. Decide for me which keywords will work. <laughs> just use AI. <laughs> and that's not how the right mix of keywords is going to just magically appear uh, for your app. You have to do some thinking. And so that's kind of what we're trying to focus on now, bring that into the iOS app. We also have an Android app that's built in React Native. So our iOS app is fully native. Our React, our mm. Android app is React Native, uses the same components as a website, which is something we really wanted to experiment with. Yeah. And it was, it was worth it. It took us about three months to go from nothing to a fully in Google Play app using all the React stuff we had. And I thought that was just amazing, amazing, amazing. Would you, I mean, would you use that for the iOS app? It feels like just in terms of it's one of those weird things where it's like the ios developer in me is like no Mm -hmm. but like 
in terms of like the value to your users, the real value is like having those charts available exactly. right? uh, in that mobile context. And so if putting those resources into feature parity versus polish uh, would get me more likely to actually have, you know, that feature parity, it, it kind of feels like I would rather have the the more in line with the website yeah. React Native app that's not as nice versus the very nice and clean iOS app. Obviously, yeah. that's one person's perspective, but like, I, it's it's a weird thing to balance. I completely agree. I think between, and the team kind of is on in the same boat where it's, we want to bring features, but at the same time, it doesn't make any sense to build them for iOS and then also build them for Android natively because we already have them on the web. Yeah. And most of the stuff we do is not animated. Most of the stuff we do doesn't really require any sort of shenanigans. So we still don't want to get rid of any of the native stuff in the iOS. So maybe what we'll do is we'll do a mix where we bring new features in yeah. using React Native. And we do like React Native. I know a lot of people have their Flutter versus React Native versus native. And anytime I do any sort of data on it, everyone screams for whatever reason, like regardless yeah. of the cloud you're yeah. in, I'm going to get hate for it's it. A, it's a, uh, yeah, there's a lot of strong opinions and feelings mm -hmm. uh, across all of them. But my take on it is do whatever works. So for us, React Native works, and we'll probably bring some React Native into the iOS app at some point and try to bring those views once we figure out how to really balance them on a smaller screen. Yeah, that's that's really the big tricky thing because AppFigure's website right now is very information dense uh, and utilizes horizontal real estate. As it should. I think that's what, that's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. Back to the question of, of having an app versus not having an app. I think... Having an app is a power app that is kind of a necessity. And we're using stuff like React Native, it is a lot easier to make that. I'm not saying wrap your website in an app and pretend this is an app, but I'm saying if you take the time uh, to build an app, I think it will open up a market that right now just either feels underserved or not is not using the service because of this. And I yeah. thought that it would always be smaller developers, the people who are maybe doing other things and need this as kind of the check-in on their hobby. But we work with a bunch of enterprises and some of the people at the enterprises just exclusively use the app because it's easier for them. It doesn't interfere with their process. And I guess it's like there's a reason like people like getting email reports and stuff. And part of yeah. it is because a lot of times people just want to be able to check in on their phone mm -hmm. when they're on their commute or whatever. Yeah. It's not like it's part of their, you know, like if you're a CEO, you're not usually exactly pulling up Excel sheets and like really diving in. You yeah. just have these specific things that this quarter really matter. And you want to be able to look at them exactly. as quickly as you can. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Like I can see that. And I'm a big believer of data coming to you. I think that when you're ready to do all the research and diving into that big Excel sheet and all the uh, horizontal real estate that we're taking up in, tools like Inspector and such, those are great when you need them. But daily, you probably just want to know a few things. And if they came to you, it would be a lot easier. And yeah. it also builds that mental model of what is my business? What's my MR? What's my churn? You have that kind of an ongoing basis. You see it every day. You see it every week. Eventually, you just memorize it. And so when something changes, you're like, ooh, MR went down significantly. Or yeah. what is this churn? What the hell's going on? We need to do something about that. And I think that's how you can run your business better while still focusing on everything else that needs to happen. So right. that's why we have a bunch of alerts. We actually just released an alert yeah. today, actually, just a, like two hours ago for competitors. So if you have any competitors defined in your AppFigures account, we'll send you a weekly summary of their performance 
So you can see if you're beating them, if they're beating you, if they're going up, if they're going down, without having to go into the site, click all the things and look right. at it and inspect it and think, do I want to look at a year's worth of data, maybe a month's worth of data? Instead, you're just getting the data that applies for the week and you're building this mental model kind of one patch at a time. And I think that's going to change how people understand their surroundings, something that's lacking currently for a lot of developers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And like, we kind of, we kind of went forward in time a little bit with the app, but like to rewind just a little bit, you know, mostly with the story we've talked about, like the analytics side where you're mm -hmm. sucking in data from, from Apple and presenting them in nice charts, but you've added on oh, yeah. a bunch of things since then. Right. So I, I don't know what order they came in, but I feel like there's kind of the app intelligence thing, which is like, competitors understanding the broader market and then there's the aso mm -hmm. kind of thing which is a whole different beast yeah when when did those kind of come into play like and why the why is easy so from day one we always set out to once we started being a real company after the beta ended and we started making money we said what is our value like why do people even need us and it's more than to just take the ugly tsv files and turn them into something good it was more to connect the dots if you can connect the dots you can see the broader image you can make more money with your apps. You can succeed more with your app. Just kind of the idea. So it's always been a game of, okay, what are the dots that people need to have in order to connect them? And can we connect them? And as time continued to realize that it's not just about taking the data that is hard to, to get. And instead of uh, you having to go through Excel, we'll do it automatically for you, but we'll also collect more data that you may not be able to see. And from mm -hmm. A very young age of the company, we wanted to have that sort of broad market understanding of how many apps are there, how many are making more than me, what are they making? But we never wanted to sell that data that investors really wanted us to do back in the day. Yeah. We were struggling with how to do it. And we had competitors that were just selling that data. Because there because like we've outlined, there's there is a lot of value in understanding the market that you're in. Absolutely. And if you if you are hooked into somebody's data, then you have access to that, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, but we just never wanted to do it at, at that scale. We wanted to do it at a scale that makes a lot more sense. And that's also easier to explain. I'm not just taking your data that you just gave me and paid me and sell this to one of your competitors. That seems iffy to me as a creator. Right. And so we worked on modeling the entire App Store and Google Play for many, many years. And we waited until we had estimates that were good enough that they could beat any other competitor, but also give you a real good understanding of your app and your competitors without having to use your data. So I can give you estimates on any app. And this is just to like step back on that. Mm -hmm. So when you say you're modeling the appster, you're taking public information, mm -hmm. not information that uh, your customers are giving you, oh, but no, information that... Oh, okay. Well, let me uh, let me like explain what I think it is, okay. and then you can correct me. Uh, what I would have guessed anyway is that you're taking purely public information that you can get from Apple, mm -hmm. not coming from your customers, and you're trying to build a model uh, from that information to give estimates for downloads, uh, revenue, that kind of stuff that can then be used by your customers to understand their market, and then you're using your customer information as a test because you know mm -hmm. the truth you can then build a more accurate model but you never expose oh yes your customer information directly to somebody else oh absolutely is that an accurate way of phrasing it yeah i think that's it so we never use customer data to expose we never expose customer data to anyone we have so many yeah. locks on customer data that 
customers can actually, our users can lock access to our support team. Not even our support team can go into their account if they don't want it, which um, a lot of people really like just having that sort of control. Yeah, but I bet. Our idea is we take all the data that we have that we know, we do need some user data in order to train those models, not just for the validation. And what we did was a little bit different than everyone else. At this point, there isn't really everyone else. There's just a, hand, a small handful of companies. Uh, but what we did was we said, if you opt into sharing your data with us anonymously, and it's never going to be shared with anyone outside of our training, we'll give you access to some of the things that we get out of it. And one of those things is the mobile download index and the mobile revenue index. Two things that we launched in mm -hmm. 2020 as part of the, you opt in and you get something that everyone else will either charge you or you're just not going to have access to it. And now all of our members have access to this. And if you uh, have not seen the mobile download index, it is a way to understand what's happening in your category. If downloads are going up, if downloads are going down, how much have they changed over time? And this way you can see if your growth is kind of accidental. If your downloads are dropping, is it because everyone else is dropping? And it uses a ton of data under the hood, which if you wanted to buy one off from one of our competitors would cost you an arm and a leg and a kidney and a nose. And that's why a lot of indies don't do it. And a lot of even smaller and even medium and larger companies don't do it. It's just too foreign. So our way of saying we want to build this, we understand that it's so important, so critical to have that sort of broad view. If you opt in, we'll treat your data with the most respect that we have that we can, and we'll give you something in return. And people love that. We were not sure what would happen. We obsessed over every single word in the announcement, every single pixel in the announcement, just because we wanted to make sure that we're not saying something that people can misunderstand as we're doing something yeah. appropriate. Um, and we put that out, I believe in 2018, 2019, maybe okay. we started this after building models for about four years at that point or three years. And people love that. They love the openness. They love the honesty. And a lot of people just opted in almost immediately. And that really allowed us to grow. Because it's a trade-off that, you mm -hmm. know, um, and, and even then the trade-off is, the trade-off is that you're, so your data as a developer is being used to train this model, mm -hmm. right? And then that model is then being used against public information exactly. to to make those estimates. But like theoretically, the reason it's opt-in is because theoretically, not theoretically, people's private data is baked into that model itself. Um, and so that's why you wanted to make sure that that was, exactly. was opt-in. In a way, and so we built our model so it's not baked into the model. It's only used explicitly for training, meaning there is no way that I will ask an estimate for an app that is using app figures and get the right, yeah. the right data with air quotes. Yeah, exactly, right. So it's always an estimate coming out of, a, out of a model, whether it's, we started with statistical models and eventually expanded into uh, deep learning, which is what we use now, which is super cool. So that was, so it started with the app intelligence. That was sort of your first, yeah. uh, well, kind of, they were move mixed into expanding. They were mixed. So we started developing the models back in 2016 ish around that time. It just took a very long time to get off the ground. Uh, it's really difficult. We started with no user data. So it was only data that we could find publicly and slowly expand on it, work with some companies that we knew were a part of this and really wanted to have this data. Um, and they were the early opt-ins uh, by, by their choice, which was actually really cool when people came to us and said, we'll give you our data, can you do this? Um, and eventually expanded. And as we were doing this, AppStore optimization became a real thing around 2017, 2018. It stopped being a, kind of a shady black hat type of thing, which is what it was between probably 2010 and 2015. 
Yeah. And uh, we said, we can build tools to help you with this because I've done SEO for so many years. I know this. Right. How we got into ASO, I went to WWDC, talked to a bunch of people, asked them what were their biggest uh, pains when it came to App Store optimization, and came back with the understanding that there isn't a single tool that was missing. It's the, I can't do it, it's stupid, it doesn't work. That was really the main objection, and not just by indies. I would say that's still the that's still the broad strokes yeah. opinion of a lot of indies. Absolutely. I, including maybe me. <laughs> like I feel like intellectually I don't think that, but emotionally I certainly do. Yeah, because a lot of developers don't think about the fact that ASO is not marketing. ASO is really programming. You're talking to an mm, algorithm. Interesting. Yeah. That's something that I try to tell people. You you're building for an algorithm. An algorithm is just a bunch of code. Who would be better right. at understanding how an algorithm works if not someone who can make algorithms? And it's not like it's a completely undocumented, uh, undocumented uh, sure. API essentially, yeah. which you know Apple developers more and more are becoming familiar with lately. So, yep. uh. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and I say this to people, and they go, "Wow, that's a low blow." Documentation is getting a little better. Yeah, that's true. Sure. That's true. Uh, to all the people who document, well done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't. <laughs> no, I'm not throwing uh, uh, any specific people under the bus here. <laughs> well, we're not going to mention. No, just kidding. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, that's really what it is. It's not that you need to be a marketer in order to understand how an algorithm works. I mean, if you think about, it, if you dissect that sentence, you go, okay. So I'm a developer, and this is development. All I need to do is just put in the right inputs. That's really at the end of the day what it is, and that's what I try and showcase when I do keyword teardowns. I try to come at it from a more technical standpoint. I did this, this happened. You do this, that will happen. As opposed to, it's marketing, it's fluff. You just have to put keywords and stuff in things. Yeah. Which is what I really dislike. And I think why our content really took off. So I, I came back from WWDC thinking, I need to build something that enables people, that gives them that power to say, I can try. It'll probably, it might work. Uh, so we built tools that were super simple. That was our core from the beginning of the philosophy. We need to build tools that track your keyword performance, that show you what your competitors are doing. But the real thing is we need to build it in a way that you look at it and you're not gonna go, too much data, I don't like this, move away. Yeah, because it's pretty overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people do say that our tools are overwhelming, a small number, but if you compare it to anything else that exists out there, it's, we do so much work under the hood to only show what matters and also to, kind of take data and turn it into insights more so than just throw data on the screen. And so people will come mm, to us and be like, yeah. oh, I'm coming off of one competitor. I don't like their service anymore, or they have not been accurate, but you're missing all these columns that they have. And we go, no, 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 we're not missing. That's on purpose. We omitted them because you don't need them. They really have no influence on your ASO. And some of them understand it and go, oh, wow, that's amazing. And some go, no, 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 but I, I'm so used to the numbers I want to see them. I'm like, no. That's not how this works. This is how you do it better. It's not about the quantity of columns we have on the screen. Yeah, so it's like opinionated. Yeah, it's a lot more opinionated. And that really, I think, allowed us to get more people who normally would viscerally say, to go, let me, let me give this a try. And every conference I go to, I'll find at least one person who goes, you know, I didn't think I could do this. I was working a full-time job. I had my app as a hobby. And thanks to your videos and live streams and everything else and guides, I was able to kind of zoom in on one keyword or a set of keywords, and now I run a business thanks to ASO, and I was able to quit my day job. It's like every conference, and I go, that's amazing. Amazing. It's it's a weird thing. Like, I've, my sort of 
current mentality on all this is like the more I've been doing this show uh, and just talking to developers at the indie level, more and more I'm convinced that like, you know how it's a, there's a thing with lots of successful people where it's like, it's a, like every successful person is incredibly lucky and also Mm -hmm. incredibly talented. And like, you have to have both. Yeah. I'm now convinced that like, Almost every successful indie that I've run into, the more I dig into their story, the more I'm like, they got incredibly lucky with an ASO keyword and they took advantage of it, right? Like you have to have both. So it's, I'm not taking away from their talent or whatever, Yeah. but like oftentimes either they have identified it or I'm now convinced they just haven't identified which one it is yet. But whenever they're like, I released it and it just got all like, it has all these downloads. I'm no longer like, oh, it's because they had product market fit or any of these other things yeah. that I used to always think were the reason. It's like, no, they tapped into this unbelievably wide mm-hmm. stream of users on the app store. They actually they accidentally like got a nice big scoop out of it with an ASO keyword that worked for them. Yeah. And then they capitalized on it and then they could build a business. But it's yeah. like you almost have to have that. It feels like, again, I'm not an expert on this and I certainly haven't figured it out myself, but I'm starting to believe that that is like a necessary piece to having a like, I can do this as my only job yeah. type business. I think that another way to say it would be strategy. Because ultimately you may not know what the pieces of the strategy are, but at the end of the day, if you can get... It's not, it's not always luck. It's luck and preparation and being in the right place at the right time and maybe doing some research before. Yeah. I more meant like most, a lot of the people I'm talking to aren't, a lot of indies are not oh, coming yeah, into yeah. this with ASO strategies. That's what I mean by luck. It's like they, a lot of times they'll identify it cause they'll tweak something and then their numbers will just completely <laughs> fall out from under yep. them. And then that's when they realize, Oh, I was ranking really high for this word on accident. Mm-hmm. And I need to make sure I'm I'm now keeping that on purpose, which is where like app figures, yeah, uh, tools to ma- help you track that are like pretty important. One, if that happens to you, yeah. But yeah, th- I I guess that's uh that is very true, with a few exceptions. So one of the exceptions is some apps will start out of the box actually using some of the even basic ASO tips that you would find in any of my guides. If you start off with that, you're already ten times more, I guess, prone to luck than you would if you don't. So one of the things yeah. that irks me the most is developers will not put any sort of keywords in their app's name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those who do it know who they are. And uh, I mean, that was me I until, uh, I think, until your talk uh, <laughs> at Deep Dish. I know. I, I tried to be nice about it. I finally caved. I told you I'm not mean about these things. Yeah. But I'll say it hasn't made a difference that I've been able to find, right? Not at all. Um, no, not not that I can tell. Interesting. Like, and that's the thing, right? Is I think that's where um, the feeling of it doesn't work comes from. Yeah. Because, and I, I, I can already feel what the retort is going to be, which is I, I signed up for the trial. I did a bunch of time, spent a bunch of time. I talked to you, so you gave me some suggestions too. Mm-hmm. And I, I threw in a keyword and then the trial expired. I switch jobs. So I was very busy with other things. I didn't iterate on it at all. Yeah. Right. So it's like, well, of course you wouldn't expect like make this one change. And now I'm making a million dollars to happen. Um, but I think that's a lot of times where that it's like, it feels like I gave up my soul a little bit yeah. because I had this clean, just my brand name as the name. And then I added colon, you know, sound machine. Yeah. And I feel a little dirty about it. And then when you don't see this, like 
now my app's a hockey stick and it's making a million dollars. It almost feels like, oh, this just doesn't work. And yeah. I think a lot of people at that point write it off. In a, in a sense, yeah. I think one of the... My, so my biggest scraps with only having the clean app name is that if I read it on the app store, I may not know what it does as a person, as a human being. If I see, if I see dark noise, what is that? I mean, maybe I can right. guess that it's that noise that the radio makes when it's not on the right station. And m maybe I'm into that. Maybe that's my thing. And they're like, yes, I'm going to download this. But I mean, if my mom comes across this, she may not know what it is. Even if she is looking for a sound machine, if, if my brother for his baby is looking for a sound machine, dark noise may not necessarily have that. Yeah, that's true. Intuitive sort of, yes, I need this. And, and that's what you really want. You want people to look at your app and say, I need this. Not I want this, I need this. And that's why I think having some sort of an explanatory word two words we say keywords but really it's just language um, i think it's good yeah. for business in general it also happens to be good for the algorithm but if you think about the algorithm being built around that sort of mindset now it all makes sense so you're not really optimizing for the algorithm you're really optimizing for people and the algorithm picks it up so if you start thinking about it that right. way then you also see that doing this one time may not capture all the people because they might talk about noise machines slightly differently Maybe it's a sound machine, maybe it's a noise machine. Um, and so you want to iterate on that too. And the algorithm is kind of the same. So when you come at it from that perspective, you don't need a ton of experiments or iterations, but you need a few just to get a good understanding. I do think we can do a lot more within the platform to make it so that you understand what you're doing and what comes out of it. And if it's not enough, what mm -hmm. you can try to do better. And that's a layer that we're going to be adding in the future. We've been planning it for a long time. How do we inject that right into the, right into the tools? So it's not just right. about this keyword has a popularity of 50 and maybe 20,000 results, but also this keyword is not for you because, and explain why. So noise machine mm, in your yeah, case yeah. is probably not the right keyword. It's a little bit too competitive. And what a lot of people don't think about is it's all about the number of ratings you have in the country in the last 30 days. And people tell me, are you sure? Yeah. And I go, I only wrote 100 keyword teardowns. I wrote more than 100 keyword teardowns. And almost each and every one of them has that at its core. So yes, I'm pretty sure. Um, but that's another thing that the UI can even tell you and go into explaining what that does. We don't do that nearly as much as I would like. But I mean, there's always room for improvement. So that's what we're working on. Uh, but when I, so when I came back from WWDC and we decided we're going to put this sort of simplicity at the core, we also realized that we have to do a lot of teaching. And um, the live streams mm -hmm. didn't start until much later, but I started doing guides. I eventually started doing app teardowns when I look at an app and analyze what it does right and wrong. And then I did keyword teardowns. A friend came up to me and goes, my app should be number one for this keyword. Why is it not? It's the best app. And I go, yeah, maybe Pixel and, and Features, it's the best app, but it doesn't have nearly as good of a performance as those competitors. That's why they're number one. And I'm just standing in my office, in my kitchen, I remember this outlining why number one is number one, number two is number two, and how he can be number one or two. And I go, hmm, I should write this down maybe. I wrote it down, sent it by email. People loved it. And I did a hundred plus of those. Yeah. So that so that was when so it was when the ASO stuff started that you yeah kind of spun up the uh training, learning, marketing machine. Yeah, exactly. The content machine, I would say. That's when you turned into Ariel from App Figures. Exactly. Uh. That's that's exactly <laughs> it. I mean I've been doing conferences since 2010, I want to say, and I love being on stage. But this was a much easier way to get to more people and share more of yeah. what I know. And, and it was never about a marketing machine. It was more about, 
I see you're making mistakes. Stop making those mistakes. It's really annoying. And also here are the right tools for the job. Uh, sometimes I even forget to say use app figures on the, on the live streams. Sometimes I don't even show my screen on the live streams. I just say what I see on my screen. People go, where do you see this? Where can I get this information? I go, oh, what do you, what do you mean? Like you're in an app figures live stream. Where else can you get it? <laughs> People are like, but can you show me? Like, yeah, sure. Someone after my last live stream said this. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely something to uh, being like clearly articulating being an expert in this field, mm -hmm. which then adds more legitimacy to to the product itself. Yeah, and I also really enjoy this taking people from no, this does not work, this is stupid into oh, how did you do that? Okay, I want to do that too. And I think in our field, you'll find a lot more people who are curious enough and can have that sort of. Uh, Okay, let, let me try. Let, let me tinker. Let me tinker. Yeah. Which is a lot more difficult to find in other fields, including marketing. I think marketers rely on tools because they have to, not because they want to. Whereas mm. when it comes to our field, especially on the indie side or the smaller company, when where someone is wearing a whole bunch of hats, they really want to try more things. That curiosity, that spark comes out. So I, I really like using that and helping that grow. Yeah, in the content. yeah, that's definitely the case. And I think, yeah, App Figures is nice uh, too as a, like, being uh, accessible Yeah, in, we try. for, like, indies, right? Well, I say that, although, like, I think one thing we haven't talked about is, you know, we talked about your pricing, mm -hmm. but now you have, you have a bunch of tiers, yeah. right? So you kind of are targeting larger companies all the way down to indies with different tiers. Exactly. How did you go about... You know, building out that plan. Ooh, that was a lot of fun and a lot of experiments. We changed our prices. I want to say four times since they launched. We uh, we started with this pricing model of not having one tier but having four tiers back in twenty twenty, mm. COVID okay. year. So it was a uh, summer yeah. of twenty twenty. It, it was an interesting time to be in uh, in SaaS business, but a lot of it came from and and you can also see it by the name of the plants where you are in your journey as a developer. If you just want to connect all of your data points into one place, whether it's the amount of money you're spending or making or earning from different places, we have a connect plan. It's 10 bucks a month. It's super easy. It's actually eight bucks a month now. Uh, started as 10, uh, super easy. And then- And importantly, it has the uh, the featured list. Oh yeah. The favorite, the favorite app figures. I think mm -hmm. I originally signed up for app figures. Well, I probably originally signed up because- I was trying to track stuff or whatever, yeah. but certainly for a while I was, I was being retained purely by that <laughs> list uh, because, and for those who don't know, this is a, this is a list of where your app is being featured on the app store mm -hmm. across all the different countries in lists or today tab or whatever. Yep. And it is, uh, it's a little addicting. <laughs> <laughs> it's very addicting. And for a reason, I mean, it does have, it does make an impact on your downloads. And we can see, yeah. Oh, yeah. if you're on the Today page, we'll tell you 24 hours before, so you can at least do something with it, ride the wave. Now we have alerts on Featured, so you don't even have to go to the list. It will come by email, yeah. which we added. Which I get, yet I also still check it manually yeah. often. Which uh. is exactly what I would do. <laughs> yeah. But it's at least you have that trigger to see what's going on. And the whole idea, again, when information comes to you, you can act on it a lot more quickly. And if you're yeah. featured, you should take advantage of that. That's kind of the goal. That's the thing. Like, I'll say, like, if your app is featured, I think there's two things. One is, like, it's a signal. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I got featured in this list in this country, and it's performing 
really well. Like dig into that. Maybe yeah. you should localize in that country or maybe it doesn't perform as well, even though you got lots of impressions. And so that can, you know, be a signal for you on how you should shape your business. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is uh, if you're playing the like, I'm an indie on social media game, uh, which I definitely am. It's like, even though it's a little embarrassing to be like, oh man, look at me. I think there's, I think there's some people, I get excited when I see a friend or some that I yeah. follow talk about their success like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm different and maybe other people get annoyed, but I think it helps me when I'm like excited about something because then other people are like, oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah. And I, you know, I like to share the numbers and how it impacted things. And I think like you're saying, it's like, it's, it's adding a layer of capitalizing on this moment exactly. that happened, right? And uh, you can take that a, a step further and actually reach out to media outlets, to journalists, and maybe that can be the catalyst for them covering you if they didn't cover you before, because now you can have mm. Apple stamp of approval or Google stamp of approval, even if it's a small feature. Yeah, I see people literally put, you know, app of the day, exactly. and whatever store or something as a sort of, uh, it's like, uh, what is it called? The, the little like... yeah. The What's thing the plant that you put on the movie stuff. when you've, yeah, I can't remember what that's called, but like the award uh, signet thing. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for a reason, if you, if, if Apple decided you're worthy of a list, it's kind of like, okay, maybe it's better than the million other apps that exist in this category. Maybe I should give it a try. So that's, yeah. it's a great opportunity. And we've been doing that. We, we built that report so long ago because that was one of the things we focused on. We have to track all the stores and all the categories and all of that. So we know what's going on. And to this day, that engine is running strong. Yeah. And it's, it, it works great. And I, I mean, I'm sure there are other app, other companies that do this, but uh, it's the one I know of. And I know, <laughs> I think you probably became aware of me because I would constantly tweet about it. Mm-hmm. And then like a hundred people would ask, what is this? And I would yep. have like 30 replies that are like, it's app figures, it's app figures, it's app figures. And then everyone, so I'd see likes popping up and I'm like, oh, they have like a Slack channel or somebody running this Twitter account. That's like <laughs> uh, this guy again. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that was me. Hello. <laughs> well, there you go. That's funny. Those are our first interactions. Uh, yep. Way back in the day. <laughs> we actually, funnily enough, we also send that to Slack and soon to Discord when your, when your app is featured. If for people who, uh, who prefer that. Oh, oh, uh, you know what? I think I actually have that integration. I certainly have an app figures integration in Slack for reviews. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I should look in. I don't remember a feature showing up in there, so I should do that. Because I do. I like having that. um, Like I have a personal Slack channel that I just dump like the bot stuff into. And it is really handy for like going back and seeing history and stuff like that. Um, Definitely nice. Nice. Yeah, that's good to know worth enabling Um, all right so i'm trying to think is there something else specifically that we want to talk about uh because i think i've already i've already taken up more of your time than i don't uh, even know what time it is i originally asked i don't have a clock in this room at all so i have Ah, no idea okay good oh wow never mind we got another three hours i mean i'll talk Uh, to you for as long as you'd like (laughs) luckily today is my uh my meetings in the morning day so i'm done with meetings actually i'm done with Ah, most meetings for the day except for this one yeah well i mean this is a very important one i cleared my schedule for this (laughs) <laughs> what were we Appreciate talking about that. we're talking about aso oh so yeah so oh, i was just gonna say so we introduced aso in 2020 with the price changes because finally we had more features that we can change our pricing going from a single tier that scales based on the number of apps to two tiers or three tiers that scale based on the features 
And we were thinking, how do we make the differentiation between them be clear? And we came up with names. So we, we talked about Connect, which has uh, magical features and brings all that data together and allows for reviews management and everything else. But usually people who only care about that don't care about App Store optimization, especially now back in 2020. In the last three years, everything changed. Four years, everything changed. And so now everyone cares about App Store optimization. And yeah. um, don't tell anyone because no one can hear us, obviously, but... Right, this is a private conversation. Private conversation we're having in, in public. Um, <laughs> we're, we're actually going to spend more time on bringing ASO uh, tools down, cascading down into Connect and even into our free plan. Ooh. Because I think now it's become not more of a, I can use ASO and I will beat my competition. It's more, I need to use ASO to remain in this race. Competitive at all, yeah. Exactly. I didn't even want to use competitive because if you don't, it's not that you're not going to be competitive, you're going to be forgotten pretty, pretty yeah. instantly or invisible. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna work on that. We have a bunch of new we have a new plan coming out with our Black Friday promotion. Again, this is top secret, so don't don't share on Twitter. <laughs> um, and, and we have some pricing changes coming later in the year that will allow us to bring more of the ASO stuff into um, into the free plan, into Connect plan, and just get people to understand that this world does exist, and whether you like it or not, it is happening, and your competitors are most likely using these techniques to stay ahead. So at least try. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll be a, like there's been rumors lately of uh, like the Apple's AI team yeah. is apparently being tasked with updating uh, the app store search. And I'm sure that'll blow up the entire world and make everybody panic and scramble. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of nice that you have, well, in some ways it's nice that you set yourself up as kind of, an industry expert that understands that. But I guess that also means that when that happens, uh, or if that happens, I have <laughs> you, to understand you're going to have it. your hands full. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward um, to that. But I've spent so much time just reverse engineering the littlest of things. So for example, there's this little bug in, in the App Store where you're limited to 30 characters. That's not the bug. That's just how app names are. But if you're using ASCII characters, you can use an, an ampersand, let's say, and it looks like one character, and App Store Connect will show you that it's one character. Render it as one character. But under the hood, for App Store optimization purposes, the algorithm will see it as two characters. So now you have a title that's, or a name that's 31 characters, if you maxed out, let's say, and that algorithm doesn't care much for limiting you. So it's, it's gonna allow the app name to go into the App Store, but it's gonna truncate it at 30, because that's just what it does. So you're gonna end up with a name, especially if you use multiple of these in your name, you're gonna end up with something that is probably cut at the end, like the middle of a keyword. Now, yep. it's really hard to tell when that happens because Apple will try and make sense out of cut keywords and try to believe there's something else. So for the most part, no one's gonna notice. But I found a bunch of keywords where you can search for that partial keyword and you'll find that app is number one. And if you search for that full keyword, you're not gonna find that app at all. And I spent, I think, three months figuring that out uh, trying to get Apple to fix it, not getting anywhere with that, and eventually wrote an article called The App Store is Broken that I didn't want to write. I just wanted them to fix it, so no one right. knows. You don't want to be, like, the bad guy yeah. or whatever. And, um, and immediately people are like, no way, it's impossible. I've never seen that happen. Then one guy on Twitter goes, let me show you, and just does the ASCII analysis of a name, puts it into the App Store, puts some screenshots, took my screenshots, put them there. It's like, I'm not Ariel, and yet I can still see this. Like, okay, validation. Good. I I think we've talked about this bug on this very podcast before with somebody who 
ran I, I think i'm not gonna say who because i don't remember if it was on this podcast or not but i'm pretty <laughs> sure it was where uh like the bottom fell out of their downloads suddenly yeah i think i know who you're talking about that was a i think they said that you helped them mm-hmm. <laughs> in particular yeah uh, track that down and it was it was like a like very like holy cow this is scary moment mm-hmm. when you realize that dependence on on keywords that you don't understand yeah. right when you don't have uh an understanding of why your business is working yeah and a <laughs> small change like that can cause everything to just fall apart mm-hmm. that's a really scary concept but it's it's not that complicated once you get into it once you start seeing how it works and, and again the main thing is if apple said anything about how the sort because you have two things when it comes to app store optimization you have should i be on this if i'm the algorithm should this app be in this list in the search results and where should it be? So those are two different yeah. things. And they use two different things to go about them. The keywords serve the first purpose and a little bit the second purpose. Ratings serve the second purpose, not at all the first purpose. So mm-hmm. you, everyone needs to understand the, the interplay between them. And I think that's when it becomes a lot more like, oh, this is overwhelming, this is too complicated. And that's where we can also introduce more tools. So we invented a metric called DPR, downloads per rating, and the idea there was to be able to see for every download that you get, how many more ratings is that going to contribute? Mm. And or for every um, for every new rating, how many downloads do you need to contribute that one rating? And it's not really an ASO metric, but it's more of a metric that will show you how much faster can you advance with uh, ahead of your competitors if you know how many ratings you need. So. If you know that you're getting is that exposed in in app fig in the like in the site? Yeah, that's an inspector. Oh, where's that at? It's uh, it's an inspector and keyword inspector, and soon that will be okay. in um, in the competitors report too, and eventually it's going to be also in the ratings report, so you can see how that changes for you. And the idea is that you want the smaller number, the smallest number possible, because ideally for every download you'd get a rating. That's not going to yeah. happen, but if you have a competitor that has a thousand ratings a month. And let's say 10,000 downloads, so their DPR is 10, and your DPR is 5, which means you're double, you're twice as fast. You don't need as many downloads as them to beat them. So you're doing uh, maybe an Apple search ads campaign, or maybe promote it on Reddit, or do something else, get half the downloads, you'll get double the ratings, and you can, in theory, float above them. And that will give you more downloads. So now your organic is covering for everything else. Yeah, that's interesting. I've not looked at that. Uh, that's, That's actually something I've been kind of messing with is like understanding is there ways I can increase my downloads that aren't just uh, sorry increase my ratings that aren't just increasing downloads and that would be an interesting metric to track over time especially Mm -hmm. like are the things I'm doing working because I'm kind of like manually guessing right now like well my downloads are up right now and it looks like these are but that's like a single number Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting to compare to competitors because yeah Sometimes it feels like, well, I'm never going to rank well because obviously this other app gets way more downloads than me or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, yeah, mm, that's an interesting, yeah, I should pay attention to that. I like that. Absolutely. It's, it's fairly new. We released it. So I've been talking about it for about a year and only, I want to say maybe six months ago, we put the, we started putting this into the site. And now we're slowly going okay. to roll this out to pretty much everything. Maybe eventually even the overview uh, report so you can see it. Uh, front and center. Maybe we'll even include it in daily reports. We'll see. We have more figuring out to do on these metrics. Uh, but that was kind of the idea. The idea was it's not always just about keywords. There is a more to it, but you have to understand it in context. So once that happens, once that uh, lights, 
light switch. Once that switch is flipped. Yeah. I, I correct myself as I talk all the time, which I know is terrible. And every book about speaking confidently will tell you, do not correct yourself. You made a mistake, just move on. Like, no, 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 I need to be understood. That's only if you want to speak confidently, but if you want to build trust, <laughs> yeah, constantly undercutting true. yourself uh, is the best way to do that, you know? <laughs> hey, if I made a mistake... That's my, that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> You're sticking to it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm being confident in that. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a bad speaker. I'm just building trust. <laughs> I'm just going with it because I enjoy, I enjoy the go. explaining part of it. Uh, so yeah, so those are some of the things that I think we still have more work to do in order to get people to see how easy it is. And and ultimately, it's not easy, just like anything else. It's easy to get started. It's much more difficult. It becomes exponentially harder to get really good at something. Yeah. But I spend so much time trying to analyze it so I can simplify it. So if Apple throws anything new our way, it'll be great. Like, for example, there were rumors about a year and a half ago when Apple introduced um, text recognition, OCR, in pictures. Oh, to the to their SDKs. Well, no, no, no. To and there was theories that they were doing it in in, a, so, in, in the app store. In the app store. So yeah. they're looking at your screenshots and they're extracting keywords from your screenshots and they're, they're ranking you by it. Um, and I talked to a few people. Some of them swore to me that Apple told them this was happening. And I have spent months trying to reverse engineer how that is happening. And it's not happening. There's just there's zero indication that's happening. So I'm still waiting for that to happen. And I keep looking for that all the time. It's on my list of things that I worry about. Because you want to be the person to like break it sort of if, uh, if it starts happening. I, I also want to make sure that everyone knows that actually take advantage of that. And I've long said that you have to use keywords just like in your, in your keyword list, in your screenshots, because the keywords are all about intent. People are downloading your app right. because they need a specific thing, whether it's a, a noise machine or a sound machine or a... Um, put baby to sleep machine or put me to sleep machine. And if you know those intents, you should definitely use them in the keywords because that's what they're going to type in. But when they see those in the screenshots, which is probably the first thing everyone looks at, be like, yes, I need that. And then that will turn into a download as opposed to, let me see what this app does. That's why when I see screenshots that are just UI, I go, ah, missed opportunity, missed opportunity. Mm, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, um, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and land this plane because uh, if if the couple of times that we've spent in person together are any indication, <laughs> we will literally talk until the bar closes. Uh, pretty much every time. So I'll I'll end this the way I always end this by asking you the the question: uh, What is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend others check out? I have a terrible answer. My answer is going to be horrible. You may want to even cut it out completely from the from the podcast later. I'm joking. It's not going to be that bad, but. I don't, I don't, Nobody. <laughs> no, so, self-made man. <laughs> I, I don't really have like the one go-to. I'm kind of, uh, my, my philosophy in life is I want to learn from every single person that I come across. Yeah. And so, um, for example, Neil Patel, who does search engine optimization and has a huge news, a, news, a huge following, built a whole business around uh, search engine optimization. A lot of what he did with his newsletter is what I did with my newsletter when, when I started. Hmm. So very simple emails, uh, very direct, very to the point. I think he stopped giving value. I hope he's not listening, but I think he his, the amount of value that he gives. So he used to be an agency and slowly turned into a product, which is very different. Um, a lot of people mm. expect me to just do their ASO for them if they pay me because I know so much. It's like, no, 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 I'm just building a product. I'm learning so I can build you a better product and sharing what I know. 
So he went the other way and his emails used to be very valuable because that's, I guess, how you show that your agency is great. And now that he's turning into product, it's a lot more of a, here's how you do this with my, my tool. Here's my tool. Here's my tool. Here's my tool. And at some point mm. it got boring, but a lot of what he started with and how he built is, I think he has millions of subscribers to his newsletter. Um, I tried to mimic that and learn from that. And I think he did an amazing job in the beginning and he still does a, f a fairly good job. I don't know who writes for him anymore, but I think he yeah. does a great job. And if anyone is into search engine optimization, um, I would still say follow Steve Patel's work because there's a lot of good stuff that goes in there. And SEO is really important for search and for app store optimization, even though it doesn't sound like it. Um, there's a lot of overlap and there are a lot of cases where you want traffic from the web going into the app store in addition to traffic from the app store going into your app. I did a live stream with a guy who was a search engine optimization expert at an agency building apps um, and is slowly getting into app store or was slowly getting into app store optimization. Um, and we talked on the live stream a few months ago about what that meant and how he did that and what were the benefits and kind of the gotchas that he didn't necessarily saw coming. And we've been focusing on app store, uh, mostly cause most of these, most of my listeners are iOS, but like the play store is more similar to, to SEO, right? Like it's a little, a little bit, bit yeah. more robust and, um, less, uh, gameable, I guess, so to speak. Not exactly. That's the funny thing. It's as a game. I don't think the app store is gameable in that sense, but Google play is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? It's as understandable. Um, yeah. It's, it's as I would say it's different things influence how you would rank on Google play. But at the end of the day, it's a very similar kind of thought process. The main difference between the app store and the web is on the web, you can make as many pages as you'd like. And on the app store, you only have the one. Yeah. So that really is true. what unifies app store optimization, Apple or Google. Uh, one of the things on Apple, if you optimize your description with keywords, Apple doesn't care. But on Google Play, it's super important and there are rules for how to do it. We actually built a whole tool that does it automatically for you. And soon we'll be putting some AI into it to make it even easier Ooh. because it's, it's a big thing that you don't see on the app store at all. But ultimately, you still have just the one page to optimize. So instead of doing right. the keyword list, which doesn't exist on Google Play, you're doing the long description, kind of the same thing, different ways of going about it. And we have tools for both. Okay, yeah, interesting. Okay, so that was, is it, did you say Steve Patel? Neil Patel. Neil Patel. Oh, He's, I thought you said Neil. Yeah. Okay, and then the second time I thought you said Steve, so. Yeah. All right. Although uh, if, if anyone cool. wants to do app store optimization, Steve P. Young is also really great for that. To uh, yes, yes. Um, I also, a lot of, uh, so, so I follow different people for different reasons, but I also have multiple newsletters and my other newsletter is This Week in Apps where I share five highlights from the week uh, in apps and games sometimes. And a lot of that came from a company called CB Insights. I met with their CEO many, many years ago as a friend of a friend and we had tea and we we're talking about stuff. And, uh, and I was uh, subscribed to the newsletter just to understand what they do and they do analytics for private companies. Mm. And he had this newsletter that he was writing back in a day where it was also a handful of, uh, of insights taking you back to content. And I said, this is great. This is easily digestible, super simple. And he did it with so much personality. It was him in the newsletter. And I love that. And it was at a time where all the newsletters were all corporate and no one really talked yeah. to you by name. And it was all dear valued customer. Like, no one wants that. No one wants. I never wanted that in my life. Uh, so I followed them for a long time. And I think that newsletter also changed a lot over time. And I try to keep mine kind of to the basics, to the core. People love our newsletter now just because of that kind of uh, not abundance of personality, because I think that's a little bit too much. 
uh, but just enough personality in the tone, in the way things work, and right to the insights. No fluff, uh, no shenanigans, no upsells, no click here to buy stuff, no, no click here to download the data and give me your email address. Like I just share all oh, my data. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I follow that too. And this is probably going to be controversial, but when it comes to not content, but just how things are done, I really like Elon Musk. I know these mm. days everything is really weird because of Twitter, but if you forget about all that stuff and you remember Elon of like 10 years ago, building cars and going to the moon and stuff, um, a lot of what he does is it's, he's so determined to get stuff done. And I think that's the kind of thing that if more people were more determined, it would be awesome. If I could be more determined, it would be awesome. So that's who I look at. Hopefully I don't get too much hate for this. I do like Elon. <laughs> I think it's yeah, cool. I won't, I, won't, uh, I, won't, I won't dive too deep into that. Yeah, uh, I'll, don't, stay, don't ask I'll, any I'll step back and let the, the lo bomb, uh, Twitter bomb lobs uh, <laughs> come your way. Or sorry, X. Yeah, X. Um, so we got to stay true to what it yeah, is. Yeah. And that is not to say that I agree with any of the, like all the things that any of these people do. I only take the things that I think can help me improve whatever I do. So yeah, I, I think a lot of mistakes were made in X. And I even published my, my thoughts on this multiple times. If you look at the downloads data after the rebrand of Twitter to X, it's terrible. It's, it's going to be horrible for everything. Fun little thing, because I know we have to finish, but uh, there is a Twitter Lite app that is only available, I believe, in India and some of the other countries. Yeah. And for some, is it still? Yeah, it's still available. And okay. it has not been renamed. So that's the only... That's what I was going to say. Is it like the Mac app where it's like... I hate... I, this is like a, an aside, but like <laughs> it always bugs me when people are like does anybody in this company even know this thing exists? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. of course, they, like people at the company almost always know more about what's going on than people outside the company. But it doesn't mean they know how it works mm -hmm. or how to do anything with it. But I will say uh, Twitter is a, a bit of a unique situation right now mm -hmm. where it's like, there's a genuine possibility that nobody that's currently working there knows some of these things exist. Uh, maybe not by now, but... I don't know. I 107% believe no one knows about the Twitter Light app because it has not been rebranded. And you can see that as soon as Twitter became X, downloads dropped. And that's because people are not looking for X, they're looking for Twitter. And even if X is right. number one in the results, I'm still looking for Twitter. My intent is Twitter. I don't know what this X black thing is. Um, and downloads for Twitter Lite just went through the roof. I think they multiplied by like a thousand or something, something crazy. Because in those countries, you search for Twitter. And that's now the only thing that's that has Twitter. That's the one Twitter. that you find. So Gosh. I put all my thoughts on there. I think I'm sharing another insight this week on the newsletter about Twitter and about their revenue. So I'm very vocal about the things I don't like. But there are things I do like. So I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't dig into it. Maybe <laughs> after we stop recording, uh, I'll share my thoughts because I have... I have strong thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I but, would like to you know, hear them. Like everybody, you can't, if there's one thing about uh, Elon Musk, it's that uh, very few people think about him and those thoughts aren't strong thoughts. Yeah, that's like, very if true. If you have any thoughts about him, they're probably, uh, they're probably pretty strongly yeah. minded. Uh, <laughs> when we're done recording, I'll tell you a story that goes probably with more the way you're thinking than the way I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right, so... Let's land this plane. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This was oh, thank you for a having pleasure. Me. Uh, I can't wait to to hang out again wherever we end up running into each other. That'll be great. Um, 
But where can people find you and your work? I'm on Twitter. Twitter is usually where I have, I mean, X is What's Twitter. Yeah, Ariel? I know. Sorry. Uh, I, I'm old school. <laughs> I'm, I'm so old. That's why my cane is in the shop right now. But otherwise, you would you're, know. Like, you're like our parents asking about our Nintendos. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's what we're going to sound yeah, like. Let me, let me get my Atari so I can give you some information. Um, I'm on X. It's my full name, Ariel McKaylee. And I talk a lot about it. So and <laughs> app stuff. And I share a lot of, a awesome. lot of numbers, a lot of love of numbers. So yeah, find me on X. That sounds terrible. Find me on Twitter. It's yeah, it's just, yeah, I just, I am just going to keep saying Twitter until it makes me sound way too old. I'm good with it. Works for me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah find me on Twitter. All right. All right. We're landing the plane. Music go. Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Jonathan Ruiz. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. <laughs>